Welcome to another episode of the Paragon Podcast. I'm your host, CO, and on today's episode, I have the honor of hosting Dr. Adrian Lowe, a physical therapist with over 30 years of experience in the field and is currently serving as the vice president of faculty experience with Evidence in Motion. Many uh, of you practicing clinicians that are uh, listeners to the show and even students of physical therapy probably know him for his work, not only in the field of orthopedics, but um, most importantly, his, his work in pain neuroscience education. Dr. Lowe has done an extensive amount of research, has published numerous papers when it comes to pain neuroscience education and orthopedics. And I really think, obviously, if you guys are practicing clinicians or students, you guys will glean a lot from this episode. But just for individuals that are are dealing with pain, particularly chronic pain um, or just pain from being in an acute care setting, whether you just had surgery or you've had cancer, there's a lot of great information, not only in this podcast, but just uh, a lot of work that Dr. Lowe has done. Uh, You could definitely uh, do some Google uh, research and probably find an endless amount of research that uh, Dr. Lowe has published with regards to pain science. So I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. As usual, please don't uh, forget to Submit a review on all major podcasting platforms. Let us know uh, who you'd like to hear next on the podcast. And without further ado, Dr. Adrian Lowe. Hey, Dr. Lowe. Hey, Chris. How's it going? I'm doing very well. Just got home from clinic. How are you doing yourself? Good. How was clinic today? It was very good. I've... Um, I'm in week six out of eight for my first clinical rotation, and I'm in an inpatient rehab facility in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, so it's it's been a great learning experience. I definitely feel like I, I have a lot more to learn, but it's, it's been a great learning experience. Oh, that's awesome. Six weeks in, two to go. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I just want to first thank you. It, it's truly an honor to have someone with your background and, and pedigree uh, on our on our show today and uh, it's it's fascinating how how quick everything happened because as I mentioned in the email to you I had done an interview with Dr. Jeff Moore and uh, from um, a social media page that I helped run content for and then I asked kind of the audience what who they would like to hear on the show next and I mean, it was almost a unanimous decision that individuals wanted to hear more from from yourself. So uh, just for those that do listen to our podcast, do you mind just doing a, a quick intro and kind of background and kind of what you currently do? Yeah, um, that's a good question, actually. I, I'm a little bit of everything. I um I work at Evidence in Motion. I am um, our vice president of faculty experience. So I basically run a lot of our content in the faculty. So that's my my that, that's a job that puts food on the table. Mm-hmm. Um, I also run a research division at EIM, our pain science research division. So I do a lot of research. Um, I'm on faculty at several universities in an adjunct role in, at a couple of well, a couple of a handful of universities. Um, and then um, 
yeah, author in between, writing a lot of stuff, a lot of um, speaking events, a lot of education, those kind of things. So a little bit of everything, but my background, I'm a PTA, I was trained, I graduated in 1991, which is a long time ago. <laughs> I'm an old guy. And um, yeah, I've, I've, so I've been a PTA my whole life, enjoyed it, and still enjoy it a lot, enormously. Um, but that's kind of what I'm doing right now, various things. How do you find the time to do all of that? <laughs> um, you know, it's a really good question. Um, I've had several people ask me that. Um, the easy answer is, Chris, I have an amazing team around me. Um, honestly, I, I do. I have people that um, that work around me that support me really well. Um, I have an office manager. I have a graphic designer. My wife runs our business development um, side of the business. I got, you know, I got a group of um, other PhDs that are very close friends of mine that we work very collaboratively in research. Um, and then I'll just be honest. I mean, I when I met very famous people that you know, you can name their names, by the way. Um, my first thing I always ask them is, you know, how do you do what you do? It was wasn't that, you know, tell me about this paper you wrote in 1947. It was just, you know, tell me how your day goes from the morning you wake up till you till you go to bed. And I studied very early on how people um, worked and how they, you know, and a lot of it is just focusing on the things that really matter and, and, and getting her done. I, I, so I don't know. I have 24 hours like everybody else. I just tend to focus on the things that, that, that I really care about and want to push. So, yeah. There's a, a great book by Stephen Covey, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, where he talks about kind of focusing on what's important and kind of urgent, what's not important, what's not urgent. And yeah. I've definitely tried to apply those principles to a lot of areas of my life over the years. And there's still room for improvement, of course, but uh, it, is, it is always interesting to, to learn how individuals that are operating at a high level are, are able to manage all of those, all of those roles and responsibilities. And it seems like the, the common theme is always having a, a really solid team that they work with. So that, that's, that's really great to, to hear that because that's something I know that a lot of our professors at, at South College, particularly uh, Dr. Moore and Dr. Flynn, they, they really preach kind of surrounding yourself with a, a strong team and strong group. So oh, um, you mentioned that you've been uh, a physical therapist since 1991, and this is always one of my favorite questions to ask. What prompted you to choose physical therapy? Is it something that you always knew you wanted to do? Kind of, do you mind providing kind of more information about that? Yeah, um, easy answer, Chris. I had no idea what PT was, uh, and I was too dumb for medical school. Next <laughs> I mean, it is some. Is that simple? I always wanted to go to medical school. I was very interested in medicine, but I also love sports. You know, it's kind of a classic theme that PT students would tell us. But um, really, couldn't get into medical school. I, I struggled with a lot of the chemistry stuff. It was just mm -hmm. not okay. And then a, um, a counselor told me one day, "Hey, why don't you do? Um, why don't you look into um, you know physical therapy?" I'm like, I have, what, "What's that? I have no idea." And mm -hmm. then, um, I'll be very, very honest. Um, I showed up day one in PT school and still had no idea what it is. And then uh, we started going through things. And, and I remember my first class was a massage class, literally on how to massage. And I remember sitting there, this is stupid. I don't want to mm -hmm. do this. And um, it just, for lack of a better term, it grew on me. It really grew on me to the point where now it's like, I think it's the coolest thing since sliced bread. And um, I love it. A lot of my friends are doctors. And I just watched them. Do and um, 
but I'm having a go at them. They, they will forgive me for it, but I mean, a lot of work, a lot of stress, a lot of hours. I work long hours too, but I absolutely have found my calling and it is it has been an, just an absolute joy for what I do, yeah. Absolutely. Now, I, I know we're going to kind of dive a little deeper into this later, but uh, just out of curiosity, was integrative pain science part of the curriculum back when you were in school? <laughs> not even close <laughs> not even close i mean i so so let me give you a little background um, so i was born and raised in south africa and in south africa when you train as a physiotherapist which is a pt mm-hmm. here um we have a we have a pretty much unrestricted direct access in south africa so when you hurt your back your neck your knee you go you truly go see a pt you don't go see a doctor mm-hmm. um, and so to be ready for that. We were t- taught extensively in manual therapy. And, you know, Jeff Maitland, one of the icons in manual therapy, taught at our school. He'd come over from South Australia. So we were taught in a very, very stringent Maitland manual therapy program. And you know, we could order x-rays, MRIs, CAT scans. We never ordered MRIs and CAT scans, by the way, only x-rays. Um, so so my background is very, very orthopedically trained. Mm-hmm. And model of injury causes pain, pain causes injury, the pain and injury is the same thing, was rooted in me. There was very little, if any, pain training. Um, it was very rudimentary, modality-based stuff. And I'm not having a go at my instructors, they know that. Um, mm-hmm. But all the PT at that point had no clue really what pain was and struggled with it, really, to be honest. Um, but no, I was orthopedically trained, um, great background. Um, I do believe that's probably... That is the best foundation I could have because it was sound clinical reasoning and mm-hmm. screening people. Um, so that was my background. Did did you realize early on, like when you were in school, that there was an opportunity to dive deeper into pain neuroscience education? Or was it something that you kind of didn't really discover that there was a big need for until after you started practicing as a clinician? Yeah, like I said, the word pain didn't mean anything to us. Pain was yeah. a, pain was a thing I had to manipulate and crack and yeah. Know, so so when I graduated, no pain was not even. It was just simply walked in with back pain, lay down, crack their back. If they sit up and they're better, great. I fix somebody, and I, I sarcastically use the word fix now in twenty twenty one. And if they didn't get any better, you turn them on the other side. You crack them again. And you crack them again until they stop complaining. And then you're like, okay, I made them better. So I had this orthopedic model. And um, to be honest, it, it worked for a while. And so the, the famous story is that very simply, I for about five years, I could fix anybody. I could manipulate, mobilize, stretch anybody I could. And then things started changing because you get really good at manual therapy. The doctors in, in town and the area would start saying, you know what, go see that guy. He knows what he's doing. Mm-hmm. So you start seeing the more difficult patients. And it's very simply, Chris, and it's almost like a switch that's flipped. And suddenly all the techniques I had didn't work. And people would come in with widespread pain and chronic pain and mm-hmm. what makes what makes your pain worse when it's cold out? Well, what do I do for that? You know, and what makes your pain worse? When I think about it. Well, don't think about it. I mean, I was utterly stuck. I didn't know what to do. And then you, the, the cool story is I was really, and I mean no disrespect, but I was I was truly to a point where I was burned out. I was like, you know, I'm done with this thing. I don't do this PT thing anymore. Went home to South Africa, visit my instructors to basically tell them, you know, you guys are terrible. You know, I wasn't told anything about pain. And then then I was actually given a paper, 1995, a paper from David Butler, which is a neural tension, which is a very mechanical manual therapy way of mm-hmm. looking at nerves, just stretching them. I read a couple of pages of it. I'm like, oh, this is a bunch of nonsense. And then I came back, and um, in, this was in so 1996, around that time, 
Um, and he was actually in America doing a course. And I was like, oh, I'll go check it out or whatever. And um, the minute he started putting up how Peyton really works and the brain and all that, it just absolutely made sense to me. And it just it blew my mind. And the long story short, um, I started teaching with David right soon after that. I got to know him really well. And so, no, this was not a case that I was taught in school. I So the, the quote is simply this. How did I get into pain science? I failed. I failed. I couldn't help people anymore. And I needed a brand new paradigm. And, you know, I was given God willing. I was, you know, the right people at the right place, the right time in my life. Mm -hmm. to learn about this pain thing. It's a really cool thing. And it, it got me hook, line and sinker. Mm. That is that's fascinating. It's I, I imagine. I mean, you got to see the evolution of, mm -hmm. of pain science and pain management. And it's I mean, you're kind of on the, the front end of that. That's that's got to be really cool to kind of see how this idea of pain has evolved over the last 20, 30 years. And did, Absolutely. Yeah. did you, did you work in any other settings after school? And, and I guess I want to ask kind of one, what brought you from South Africa to the States? Was that <laughs> uh, just more opportunities to kind of practice in different settings? And have you worked in any other settings outside of, uh, orthopedics, because I know myself and many other students that I, I go to school with and other PTs that I know, know you most well for obviously the work that you've done in pain neuroscience education and orthopedics. But ha have you worked with um, or worked in any other settings? Yeah, so there's a couple of ways of answering. First of all, um, so in in my training, just like you go in clinical rotations, um, we go through extensive training in a, in a multitude of scenarios. So, um, you know, in my final year of PT school, I did a lot of work, acute care, you know, neuro, rehab, um, pediatrics, the same thing as you would do. But when I graduated, um, I was, I basically started working in a, in a, um, outpatient slash acute care slash orthopedic setting, if you will. It was one of those scenarios where you have to work in inpatient and outpatient all the time. Um, but long story short is no, I worked a lot in orthopedics. Um, I also did a lot of sports medicine. Um, mm -hmm. So um, I was recruited to come work in America in 1994. Um, I was recruited and it was just a big shortage of PTs at that point. And it was one of those, you know, they put a brochure in front of you. Hey, come to America, make a million dollars as a PT. And, <laughs> and, you know, as a PT in South Africa, it was, I've never been on an airplane in my life. I haven't been anywhere in the world. My dad told me something and I said, you know, you should really do it. You know, we, we, we wouldn't, we wouldn't well off as a family. And it was one of those, Hey, you should do it. Nobody, you know, this is really cool. And I truly was going to come for one year and just, you know, enjoy it, see a little bit of the country, treat a few patients, go home. But, you know, life happens and, and, and you know, you get you get settled, you make friends, you get to know people, um, life changes back home and one year becomes two becomes many. But when I worked here and I started in Kansas City, I worked for a big hospital, um, a huge medical center um, was the one that brought me over. And so I worked in acute care there and I worked in orthopedics, um, post-op rehab, um, a variety of settings, but then it quickly migrated to outpatient orthopedics. Um, and then from there on out, mainly outpatient orthopedics into working at a big sports medicine clinic, treating a lot of professional athletes, high level athletes, and also orthopedics. But that's where the pain thing started. I, I got into pain, really learned about it, and then started applying it in a clinic. 
And that's kind of what we build in the clinic. I'd go in the weekends and learn about pain, come back and try and squeeze it into the clinic on a Monday and a Tuesday, Wednesday, and then run out and go teach a class, come back. And we, that's what we molded and built this idea or curriculum of applying it into a clinical practice. Okay. Thank Yeah. Thank you for sharing. It's, and the reason I asked is because, you know, with me being in a, an acute care setting right now and just having the opportunity to learn from, you know, just inspirational professors like yourself and like Dr. Flynn. And we, we had integrative pain science course, uh, I think back in, I think June, April, May, June, if I have the, the months right. And there's a lot of great things that you can uh, do with it and a lot of great patient outcomes. In, in your experience, I, I know a lot of it you mentioned has been kind of more in the outpatient orthopedic setting. When do you feel like pain neuroscience education is appropriate in more of the acute care setting? And, and the example I'll give you just from patients that I've had exposure with is, um, I, I know with patients that have different type of neuralgias, whether it be fibromyalgia or in any other um, um, kind of unexplained uh, neurological pain, I've tried to really deploy some of the tactics we've learned with kind of educating patients on pain and um, tissue damage versus no tissue damage and how that can um, influence a perception of pain. But I've just been really trying to figure out ways to navigate that so that way their current condition doesn't lead to something chronic down the road. In your experience, when is it appropriate to kind of have that conversation? Yeah, Chris, um, you know, you and I are having a beverage conversation where we need to sit down and have a beverage because we can talk about this for hours. <laughs> um, the easy answer is this. It depends how people look at P&E or pain neuroscience education. Mm -hmm. um, some therapists look at it as a technique. So if a patient meets a certain criteria, you do P&E. If mm -hmm. not, you do it. The other side of the coin is to think of P&E not as a technique, but as an approach. Mm -hmm. And P&E is beautifully steeped into things like listening, compassion, empathy, um, education, um, pacing, greater exposure, things that works itself into daily clinical practice. And so, you know, in an acute care environment, I, I've said it, and you can probably go find a podcast or a, a recording of a conference with me saying it, um, because I've said it numerous times, an acute care therapist is worth their weight in gold for me. Mm -hmm. Because whatever you do in acute care shows up in the outpatient environment. So if you do a great job and you tell people things like you're going to be all right, um, you know, you're sore but safe, hurt doesn't equal harm, um, you know, do a little bit often and you, you plant these beautiful little seeds, they tend to blossom in the outpatient department. So when a patient shows up and I start talking to them about, you know, your nerves are a little bit sensitive, they're like, oh, yeah, Chris explained to me at an inpatient, like, wow, how stinking cool is that? Mm -hmm. that to a Chris that walks in and tells a patient all the scariest words known to medicine, torn, ripped, rupture, mm -hmm. bulge, herniate, and it's worse than pain. And then they come to my department. So in an acute care environment, don't think of PE as a technique. Think of it as a human interaction. It's mm -hmm. listening. It's calming them. You know, um, Sally had a knee replacement and you got to get her out of bed. She's got to walk because you got to discharge her this afternoon. And as you walk with her, she says, you know, you, you ask her, you know, how, how's the knee? It's pretty good. Are you worried about therapy? Yeah, I'm really nervous about going to therapy. Well, let me tell you about therapy. Mm -hmm. You know, you got to go twice a week. A, a session lasts 45 minutes. 
um, and this is what they're going to do. And, you know, what, what are you doing? You're setting realistic goals. You're calming fears. Um, and by the way, in the middle of that, she says something like, you know what? I remember that, you know, before the knee replacement, when it's cold, I feel my knee. You say, you know what, there's some great new research that talks about nerve sensors. Let me explain that to you. Mm -hmm. You were planting amazing little seeds. Oh, by the way, um, it could be that you tell it to her and her husband, or you tell it to her and her caregiver, or her to her partner. It's not just a patient. It's it's the whole environment around them. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, in, there's so many scenarios that I can think of in the acute care environment that we haven't even explored. We're doing studies right now, you know, in, in, in oncology, we're doing it in other areas, in, even in acute care, in a multitude of areas to show the value of it. Um, and, and it is very powerful to do it in an acute care setting, by the way. Absolutely. I, just from one patient comes to mind, uh, we just discharged this patient recently. And this patient was in a very traumatic motor vehicle accident, ended up with a BKA. Mm -hmm. And the first day we tried to stand before we did it, I explained, you know, you just had surgery. So your nerves in your residual limb are going to be a little sensitive. And I was just doing it just kind of like you said, kind of just like a human interaction. So you may feel a little, uh, change in your symptoms if you will when the blood starts rushing towards the bottom of that residual limb but the more and more we do this every day we get you up and standing and try to walk around with the walker the less that that feeling is going to become more desensitized and I'll tell you the first day was it was a challenge the first couple of days were, were very challenging from a pain management perspective but the more my clinical instructor and I were kind of reinforced the, the importance of moving and really focusing on um, adjusting to those symptoms and desensitizing. We just discharged. And I mean, just the difference in pain levels is pretty remarkable. And it, we had this patient only in our hospital for, I think, 10 days. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, um, ca catastrophization, that is when you see the cup is half empty. Mm -hmm. Woe is me, life is over. I had, an, I had a baloney amputation. Studies have shown us that we can turn you from a cup half empty to cup half full, which is mm -hmm. basically giving you hope. It is yeah. one of the most powerful endogenous triggers for the endogenous system in the brain. And so, yes, it does. A lot of people listening right now may think, oh, you're just talking to people. No, the neuroscience is mind-blowing. I mean, I'm sitting in my office right now. I know we're recording this, but, you know, behind me, there are brain scans on the wall showing pre-post stuff that is just, it blows my mind still today. Mm -hmm. So don't take it lightly. Mm -hmm. uh, these little things you plant all the time is, is really, really important um, because they tend to blossom a little bit later down the down the road. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I... I... That's what makes me really excited about learning more about about this field in pain science in general, especially as we start getting into our outpatient rotations, which start, I believe, in January and will run through the remainder of our um, our curriculum. So I guess June of next year. Now, in the outpatient setting, this is something I'm more experienced with as a patient because I've had three ACL surgeries. I've had two on the left, one on the right. And I know there's no tissue damage still to this day, but I still deal with, I mean, pain constantly. I was just talking to one of my 
friends in my cohort who specializes with uh, knee rehab as a as an athletic trainer. And he was kind of talking to me about some exercises and tips and tricks to kind of help mitigate the the pain. But kind of on the other end of the spectrum, I know we just talked about acute care. And I know this is probably a very open-ended beverage type of question, but um, <laughs> is, it, is it any different, the approach, when it comes from P&E in the outpatient setting? Yeah, I mean, well, you can probably go both ways. You can say, no, a human being is a human being and they struggle and hurt. But outpatient is a little bit different because our patients come to us, right? And mm-hmm. they come and go and they the frequency is less. In acute care, you see a patient daily or you see them sometimes twice a day. Um, and so here it's a little bit more of making sure you get your, let's call it bang. Okay. I see you twice in a week, so I got to put in as much as I can. Um so when a patient comes in, we got to give them something that's meaningful. A lot of stuff in outpatient as well has to shift to the patient. I mean, Chris, um, so we, when patients come in, I'm sitting in our, my office here tonight. Our clinic is here. I'm literally sitting in our clinic watching as well. When patients come in, we give them everything we got, but we also push a lot of it on them. Um, homework, um, thinking, mm-hmm. of homework, um, processing, thinking about what's going on with them. But you're right. When they come in, high levels of fear, high catastrophization, they've heard for a long time. They are prime candidates for being taught a little bit more about pain and how pain works. Um, and patients are super, super interested in it and super receptive because the current model doesn't work. More surgery, more drugs, more imaging. They, they're hurting. You know, when you ask them, would you like to know why you hurt? Yeah, please. It's very seldom you get no. You're like, mm-hmm. yeah. Let me tell you, let me explain to you. And they just, they, they, in nine out of 10 cases, they go, oh my gosh, this is amazing. I'm telling more. And that, that's where a lot of this works. How, how do you get patients to adhere to, to, to doing homework? Because I, I know that can kind of be a, a big topic of discussion in the physical therapy, at least for the outpatient space is adherence to home exercise programs or just homework in general. How do you get that buy-in with the patients to to get them to understand how important um, that homework is? I think there's a, there's a couple of ways. Number one is, um, first of all, cognitive behavioral therapy tells us that people thrive when you give them boundaries. Mm-hmm. And so we are very explicit with patients about being on time, not missing appointments, and doing homework. But it doesn't come from the point of saying, hey, Chris, if you don't show up, I'm not going to see you again. Chris, if you don't do your homework, I'm not going to see you again. Mm-hmm. It's more of a, hey, Chris, I am so excited to be here. I cannot wait to see you. Um, I got so many cool things to share with you. But to do that, I need you to be on time. Mm-hmm. If you show up 10 minutes late, you're, you're cutting into this opportunity for me. So it comes, from a, it comes mm-hmm. from a level of I care so much about you that I'm going to put boundaries around you. So I have a daughter who went to college and when she was in high school, I gave her a, I gave her boundaries, right? Because I hate her. No, I love my daughter more than anything. We put boundaries around people we care for. So our patients, when they walk out, they know that, oh my goodness, they really care about me. So I'm going to show up. Now I live in Iowa and guess what? We have snow days. People come, people miss appointments. Mm-hmm. But it's a theme that we build. That's number one. The second part is also when they're here, we give them, I really believe we give them intensive therapy to where they can literally walk out going, wow, that was amazing. They're more inclined to do what we ask them to do. Mm-hmm. There's, there's lots of strategies, They're writing homework. Every patient in our clinic has a logbook, a little logbook where they write down their exercise, they write it down. All the studies on procrastination have shown us if you write down and you have to bring your report card back to the principal, i.e. PT, 
you're you're far more likely to do it versus the old I didn't do my homework or yeah I did it, and so there are little strategies we follow. Um, it's a, there's about also about how many you give patients, pacing and those things. Mm-hmm. But there are strategies to do it. But the number one thing I would like your audience to know is our patients do their uh, homework um, because they know we care about them and their recovery. Which I'm, I know it sounds like well we all do. No, we don't. We people mm-hmm. don't get. Don't do your homework. If you don't do it, I'm not going to like you. But it's not that. It's the, I really want you to get better. And uh, I think that's a key part. Absolutely. I, I've never heard uh, it, it phrased that way because, yeah, in, in my own experience, for, I was a personal trainer before PT school. And I, I, I'll be honest, I had a very similar mentality of, all right, if you don't go home and you don't do these things, I don't see progress. You know, it's going to be tough for me to work with you. So I was approaching it kind of from the wrong way instead of really showing that I was more invested in them being successful. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, it's, it really just helps with getting buy-in from your patients at the end of the day. Now, you mentioned that you have a lot of uh, close friends and colleagues that are physicians. Now, do you work closely with an interdisciplinary team to help uh, manage your patients? Like, do you work with pain, pain management physicians to kind of help tie all of this together with your patients what does that look like yeah so first of all i live in a in a very rural area so no we don't have it in one building i don't there's a small rural hospital little satellite clinic up the street i'm i'm about 20 minutes away from a, a larger medical center with medical specialists but having said that within a bubble and i created basically a 20 to 30 mile bubble around our clinic I have access to um, psychologists, psychiatrists, dietitian, pain management, and the message is you can build a multidisciplinary team within a hospital, within a department, in an area, or in your city, in your town. So I have, you know, I've said, you just mentioned the personal trainer. My neighbor is a personal trainer, and it's not uncommon for us to refer somebody to her and say, you know what, I think you've done a therapy. I think you can get to the next phase of recovery. Um, if I need somebody to work on nutrition, I have a nutritionist that writes stuff for us, um, pamphlets, and but can also consult. We have psychologists. I have a psychiatrist that comes in one afternoon a month that can come in and see the more complicated patients. So we have built a network that we can work with, including, by the way, other therapists. I don't do pelvic health. I've written books on pelvic health and PE. Mm-hmm. So I explain to people but when it comes to doing specific therapy i have a therapist that we can refer so so we build a very good team within a radius of about 20 miles 25 miles of our clinic that we can refer to that work together very very nicely by the way that's that's awesome i imagine it i mean it just at the end of the day it's all about the patient and when you have that many resources and just such a large team that you can refer a patient to for X, Y, and Z needs. It just makes it all the difference. Especially if they all speak the same language, by the way. Absolutely. You're on the same page. That's critical. Absolutely. Do, um, now I, I, I want to be mindful of time here, but I, this is something I, I am interested in learning about. Um, cause it's kind of like a pivot kind of, kind of what you do now with evidence in motion. How did yeah. you, end up with evidence in motion and kind of what is your role with that team nowadays? Yeah, so um, my wife and I started basically a patent company called International Spine and Pain Institute 
And we were teaching cutting edge paint stuff for quite a while, did a lot of research. And Dr. Tim Flynn, which you guys are very familiar with, I've known him for many, many years. And he kept coming to me like, man, we got to bring into EIM, bring into EIM. And then one year he spoke at a conference that we put on and he's like, this is it. And so long story short, EIM acquired our company and molded it into EIM. And with that, I then took on a position. Um, so right now, like I said, I'm the vice president of faculty experience, which is just a fancy name for um, our post-professional side, right? Mm -hmm. um, we control the content. So we build the, the content. You know, you want a course in vestibular, we build that course. You want a course in pain, we build that course. Mm -hmm. And then we also have 249 post-professional faculty that are that that teach for us. They teach all of, they do all our you know certifications, residence, fellowship. And so I control that team and the content we build at EIM. That's that's my full-time daily operational role at EIM. Now I know EIM does a lot of work with uh, residencies and, and fellowships. What are your thoughts on um, PTs doing residencies and fellowships? Because this answer is always very different depending on how, uh, who you talk to, but I'm just curious to know what, what your thoughts are. Yeah, uh, and it's a good question, Chris. Um, obviously, I'm at EIM. We have the largest um, orthopedic residency, largest sports residency in America. So obviously, it, would, it wouldn't come as a shock if I tell I'm a fan. Mm. Um, I've been a big fan of the medical model that we should train people and they should become specialized. Um, if we truly want to take on this idea of being first contact primary care providers for musculoskeletal, um, the residency model works beautifully, as does the fellowship model. What I do like, the residency model is really, truly geared at getting you to another level of clinical practice, um, really um, honing your skills in. The fellowship takes you to another level, but also then preps you for the next part of your career, which is teaching. Then you become the teacher. Mm -hmm. And so uh, on our side, our fellows are actually our future instructors. The fellows are the ones that show up at South College and the other mm -hmm. schools associate with. And so it's a beautiful path for whoever is listening today. You know, I want to become an instructor. I want to sharpen my skills. Every year I ask the residents, you know, why are you going to residency? Because I just want to get better. And I realize your the audience tonight is sitting here and there's questions about, well, you know, got student debt and you don't understand. I just went through a lot of schooling. I do. I totally get it. It's not for everybody. But I think some people can go straight from South College into residency. Some people need a little break and just kind of get their breath and get to work. And then, you know, once you know what you want to do, you know, I'm really interested in ortho, then you you, you go that path. Um, but I am a big fan because I think you can always get better. No doubt about it. Great. Thank you for sharing. It's, it's always interesting to kind of hear different uh, clinicians' perspective on uh, on residencies. Because I was a little on the fence before, and as I get closer to graduation, I definitely see value added in doing it, whether you decide to do it right after graduation or like you said, catch your breath, get a little, uh, a few years of experience under your belt and figure out a specialty that you want to kind of get more experience in, in, into and then potentially do a residency that way. Now, uh, with regards to um, EIM and kind of everything that you, you do, we spoke about at the beginning of the conversation uh, do you have any speaking engagements or any courses that you are running that coming up in the future that people can uh, find you at? 
Yeah, I mean, it, it wouldn't be lost on everybody. We're in the middle of COVID. And so, you know, we do not, we have a lot of our content right now, especially on the pain side, is online. Um, Evidenceinmotion.com, you can find a lot of stuff there. We have online courses running all the time, be it either self paced or they're, um, you know, they're moderated with faculty. Um, we, we do have live events, and again, they'll all be listed on that. Um, otherwise, I would probably see quite a few South College students at um, CSM next year in San, San Antonio. The HQ of EIM is in San Antonio, and uh, oh, I'm slotted, I think, for four or five um, different speaking um, sessions at CSM. So we'll, I'll definitely be seeing the South College students at CSM. All right. And then a couple more questions. Um, yeah. I listen to a lot of podcasts and anytime there's a, an author on as a guest, a common question is, you know, what is your approach to writing? And I, I'm just curious because um, I enjoy writing from time to time. And I, I keep telling myself, I'd love to, to be able to write a book one day, but I don't even know about what, but it's just something I enjoy to do. <laughs> but yeah. are you the type of writer that, needs to carve out time and say, all right, I'm going to write Monday, Wednesday, Friday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Or do you have to feel like you're in a creative mood or is it a combination of both? Yeah, it, uh, that's a good question. Uh, <laughs> you know, Chris, I published a hundred papers, I've written a bunch of books. Um, best advice I'll tell you, just write. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I think we we can we can get ourselves in a very bad spot by we want to write perfect. Mm -hmm. um, every paper I've written that end up in a very high ranking journal, or whatever, was just one where I just sat down and said, I'm just gonna write. I'm not even putting references in, I'm just gonna write A to B to C to D and just get her done. Mm -hmm. And then once version one is done, you start reading and you get excited and again and again. And actually it's the idea of let's let's write let's write one paragraph mm -hmm. and then you get excited. And so I think therapists are very OCD. Uh, we want everything done right. We want everything perfect. I've met PTs my whole life and um, just write. I, I, so to answer your question, um, I deliberately write in the mornings when my brain is sharp. Um, I come to the office. The, um, the office staff is not here yet. So I have about an hour and a half that I can sit and dedicate to writing. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the day I cannot write because I get too much going on, phone calls, emails, stuff going on. So I dedicate specific time for it. airplanes. I love writing on airplanes because um, I just put my head, headphones on and I write. I'm that annoying passenger next to you that <laughs> looks like you just wrote a book while you're watching, you know, some movie. So I'm that guy. But um, because I, I take those times and I really maximize them so yeah just write just just don't don't be perfect just write it and, and just write. yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then if you're if you have a day off and or say it's a weekend and you don't have to worry about um anything related to work what does a perfect day off look like for you oh yeah um <laughs> multiple things but i would say right now um if i had tomorrow off and i could do anything i'd go bass fishing with my son ah <laughs> uh, do you do you go fishing often my son is a my son is a um semi-pro bass angler that travels oh, wow. all the country. so he goes all over he's an all-american so he's he's a yeah he's he fishes six <laughs> days a week and so um, if dad has time, you'll hop on the boat with him. So, um, yeah, that's what I would do. And I, and I love it. I absolutely love it. Just getting out there and mm -hmm. I'm utterly useless by the way, but I just love it. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. 
there, there's something about being outdoors even even if you if you you can't get a fish on the hook or yeah. if you're into hunting and you don't you don't spot anything just the the fact of being outdoors whether it's with your loved ones or with close friends it's it's never a bad time so. absolutely well dr Lowe, i really appreciate you being on the show today um it, it's truly been an honor and hopefully you know with you know with how covid's going and hopefully i'm able to go to csm i'd <laughs> i'd love to to take you up on a on a beverage to have a much longer and deeper dive discussion on on pain neuroscience education you you find me at csm and the first one's on me no problem all right sounds good well thank you very much and i hope you have a great rest of your evening thank you i appreciate being on and good luck with your clinicals and all of the all of your listeners as well thank you very much all right bye now bye bye Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Paragon Podcast. If you haven't already, go ahead and subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Overcast, and all of your other major podcasting platforms. Also, if you haven't followed us on Instagram, you can find us at Paragon underscore physios if you want to learn more about our field of physical therapy in the eyes of students and also just learn more about health and wellness. And once again, Thank you all for listening to another episode of the Paragon Podcast.